This is the Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder, the show that's all about the pros behind the pros. On this week's show, I have a guest who really needs no introduction, Vern Gambetta. Vern's coaching experience spans over 50 years at all levels of competition in all different sports. He's currently the director of Gambetta Sports Training Systems. He has been the conditioning coach for several teams in Major League Soccer, as well as the conditioning consultant to the U.S. Men's World Cup soccer team. Vern is the former director of conditioning for the Chicago White Sox and director of athletic development for the New York Mets. And Vern is recognized internationally as an expert in training and conditioning for sport, having worked with world-class athletes and teams in a wide variety of sports. Well, let's get right to it. It's great to be here, Rocky, and it's just it's a, you know an opportunity to always talk about the profession and uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Is I always relish that opportunity, and um, it's nice to be in California, you know, back home, so to speak, uh, you know, so I'm on the same time zone, so that's nice too. So uh, I wish I was sitting next to Santa Cruz, but I'm up the coast a little ways in San Francisco, which is not too bad either. Quarantine, by the way, but uh, anyway, but that's okay. Well, we've got that beautiful California weather, blue skies out there. Uh, hopefully the fog will burn off the Bay Area and you can go enjoy the day. But yet uh, you've you've been doing this just to to bring maybe the the new coaches and trainers and and therapists up to speed. You got started at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and and that was some time ago. But what what brought you into this field? Yeah, you and me both. We we won't have to say uh, dates. Yeah, just to go back a little bit. Uh, I I I played football at. Uh, Fresno State College, it was college then, and uh, it was, uh, uh, believe it or not, I was a 192-pound offensive lineman. Obviously, it was a different era, and we had no, uh, we had no strength and conditioning coaches, no guidance in off-season programs, and uh, so I, I had to make myself into an athlete, and so I explored all the different avenues about how to get faster, how to get stronger how to get more agile. And so the journey really started right at my senior year in high school in 1964. I graduated in 68. I, I, uh, I played uh, three years, one game, quit after one game into my senior year. And uh, uh, I didn't have a great experience in football and vowed that I wouldn't have anything to do with football. I love track. I took a theory of track and field class at Fresno State and fell in love with the sport. And uh, the uh, instructor was Red Estes, the assistant track coach, later to be head track coach. And he said, well, if, if you really want to learn how to coach all these events, why don't you do decathlon, which is 10 events in two days. And uh, so that shows how smart I am. Oh, okay, I'll try that. And so when I went to uh, UCSB to get my teaching credential, there was a a group of decathletes training there. So I just fell in there. And the beauty of track and field is their well-being. And it was a terrific education. I got to train with some world, a world record holder, Olympic gold medalist. I was nowhere near that point. Um, so, you know, that was the start of my education as an athlete and as a coach. And, uh, you know, and then I, um, uh, but I, I, strength and conditioning wasn't in a field. Um, you know, in 1969, when I started coaching, I was a track coach. And as a track coach, you got your athletes stronger, you got them faster, you got them more flexible, you, you actually rehabbed injuries, you did, you had to do everything, you had to be the jack of all trades, actually a consummate generalist. 
And I never even thought that much about strength and conditioning until uh, I got my master's at Stanford, no strength and conditioning coaches, go back and coach at Santa Barbara High School. I had a really good athletic program. We had really great track and field and cross country teams, a couple of national champions and um, things like that. But then what started to happen is first the um, soccer coach came to me and said, well, what do, you, what do we need to do to get fit? You know, and then the uh, volleyball coach came to me and then the basketball coach and then the football coach. And then I left there and went to Cal Berkeley with women's track and cross country uh, until 1982. And it was the same thing. The volleyball coach came to me and said, well, I saw you, uh, you know, he was down at the track and he saw us do some jump drills. And so that really led me into this deeper and deeper into this. It's the methodology, track and fist run, jump, throw, you know, and being able to endure sufficiently and, and explode when you're tired. So, you know, that led me down this journey that continues today. So I'm 52 years into it. I'm more energized and excited now than I've been probably in the last five years. I live in Sarasota, Florida. Um, I'm really doing a lot of work with swimming. Um, I have for about the last 20 years. I've done a lot with, kept in touch and worked with a few individual track and field athletes some world-class track and field athletes, but did a lot with volleyball and worked with um, pro beach, beach volleyball players until um, uh, Megan, uh, you know, got married, has a baby, and is not chose not to go on. But I've been doing swimming, and we have a great club in Sarasota, some great coaches and kids. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing dry land training for swimming there. I go down, get to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. and uh, But it's a great bunch of kids. Really, uh, really been fun because it's, it's energized me again. If you want to, if you want to, get energy, get, get around developing athletes, you know, 14 to 18 that have focus and dedication. And it's pretty neat. So, so that's is, a is that, long-winded answer, but uh, anyway, you know, so. That's great because there's, there's several trainers and, and coaches out there that can experience burnout. And, and after doing it for so long, I know that I've gone through those, those periods of time. And, and just by changing a little bit of what I do in regards to maybe service or coaching and so on, it re-inspires. So you, five years ago, you say, for the last five years, you've, you've been reinvigorated and re-inspired. Is, is that why? Because you're working with younger athletes or is something else? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you need new challenges. You need new challenges. And uh, I love athletics. I love swim. I love the, the, the real basic nature of them, that the stopwatch doesn't lie, the tape measure doesn't lie, you know, I've, and I got uh, doing more and more with team sports. Now, I still, I was in Australia with uh, rugby union and rugby league in January and that. Um, I, I don't know if it was so much burnout, it's just a different challenge, you know, and, uh, and, and like I said, going back getting to work with the developmental athletes, looking at our age group in, in our senior group, national, what we call our national team group, it's roughly 14 to 19. We've got some kids that just graduated from high school that are taking a gap year that are potential Olympians. And, uh, you know, you, you, you really see the difference in gender where the girls 14, 15 are, are really ahead of the boys. And then, and then, and then, and then at 16, 17, I mean, we, we, there's three boys that I, I, Monday morning when I, I was, I was saying like, how much have you grown since, you know, since May when kids grown three inches? I mean, and these kids are, you know, they're just such open books in terms of 
of training and, 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 uh, and they bought in, you know, they're all in, you know, so it's neat. No, it's just, it's just another point in my career. I mean, if I, if I, I say this a lot and people think, God, you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're getting early onset dementia or something, but if I had it to do over again, I'm not sure I really would have left Santa Barbara high school or high school coaching. You know, you kind of have the stars in your eyes, the big time. And, and certainly I don't, um, regret getting to work with some of the teams and the individual athletes that I've worked with. I've learned a lot, but uh, my fondest memories always seem to be of the developmental athlete, you know? So anyway, I'm not going to apologize for that. That's just the way it is. You yeah. know? So, yeah. No, no, I, I got to experience that a bit the last couple of years. My daughter's just finishing out at Santa Cruz high, but last year and the year before she was on the football team and this, the coaches were kind enough to allow me to come into the gym and onto the field. And we started doing some things that, that they weren't accustomed to, or they, they weren't familiar with. And suddenly, you know, they were able to move in a different way, get more power and, and more athleticism, more agility and so on. And, and just from a little tweak and so on, they, they drank the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, so to speak. They, they bought in, like you say, and, and once they're bought in there, there's nothing you can say that they don't hear. And that's the most amazing thing because, you know, you, you get other athletes, you've worked with world cup soccer team. You've, you've worked with the rugby teams. You say, I mean, you, you have spanned quite a few different, different sports. And I'm sure that you've found certain athletes that are, I won't say the prima donnas, but their ego can sometimes get in the way of their learning. And, and you just don't see that as much with a developing athlete. I, th- I think you'd agree. No, no, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky, though, the, you know, the high profile people, and I'm not going to name names, I'm not into name dropping and that. Um, I think a lot of it is I just had, I had a long conversation this morning with one of my mentors um, in England, and we were talking about this, you know, if you, if, if you, if, if you work on your communication and, and you relate to them, they're fine. And, 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 and look, certainly with the high profile athletes and the high profile teams, um, you know, you, you, you have to prove yourself and I have no problem with that. You know, I mean, you know, I went from track and field into baseball. I'd never played baseball. Um, you know, and I, I just, I just tried like Carlton Fisk was great. So I wouldn't name names, but mentioned the whole <laughs> thing, but he's into training. He's into training. And so I, I figured, shoot, you know, let's just pick his brain. I'm going to learn everything I can about conditioning a catcher from one of the greatest catchers of all time, you know, and Tom Seaver, who just passed away, you know, he, he, he didn't want to do any of the stuff that we were doing, but he said, you know, if I were starting out my career, that's what I'm doing. But he was 42 years old when, you know, and tip my hat to you, Tom, you know, rest in peace. Uh, you know, you dance with who brought you to the dance, you know, too. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been neat. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a, it's been a wonderful journey. And I, I hope there's a few, few more years to go. Um, I just have a new grandchild. And uh, my goal is to is to um, be able to uh, see her graduate from high school at least. So that would be that would do okay 15 years from now or 18 years from now. So Uh, how fantastic would that be? Oh, that'd be great. And personally speaking, as as a kid who grew up outside of Boston as a Red Sox fan, when you mention Carlton Fisk's name, I just get a, I get a little bit of a a problem there, but I'll get past it. Game seven, 1975, Red Sox and Cincinnati Reds. 
Yeah, yeah. It still hurts to this day, but that's okay. He was such a hard worker. And then he bought into the things that at, at age 41, he'd done a lot of heavy, heavy lifting. And, uh, and he was looking for an alternative. And whether you call it functional training or whatever you want to call it, uh, he, and uh, he bought into what we were doing and basically lengthened his career. So, you know, and at the end of your career as a professional athlete, that's when you're making the most money. And he played until he was 46 years old as a catcher, you know, which is a tribute to, to the work that he did, you know. So that's pretty neat. He's one of my, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't hold a lot of professional athletes up on a pedestal, but I, 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 he's a special dude. He's a special it, guy. I mean, to, to go that far into a, a world of, of such high competition is remarkable. But you bring up something that's a really, that's one thing I would like to talk about with you is, is the heavy weight training that we started off in the early years because that was one of the go-tos that we would just be doing uh, periodized programs. What's your 1RM and develop programs that were mainly about heavy weight training. And for my professional and personal experience is that the wear and tear of the body through excessive means of weight training really reduced athletic potential, especially later on at the winter of your career. And, and I think there is a trend emerging now, and, and I'm hopeful for that. And I'm, I think you and I are probably in the same kind of category that we're promoting alternative means of strength and conditioning and not just that heavy weight training. It, do you see that happening in the industry? Uh, yeah, more and more. It, it seems to be polarized, though. You know, it's like, it's like either or, and there's nothing wrong with, I, I, I use the umbrella term strength training and weight training is part of that, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, those are all subsets. And each of them potentially, uh, potentially, and does have a place in a program. And, uh, you know, I, as I said, I couldn't have played a down of college football without doing some heavy lifting. And yet, I learned very quickly when I transitioned to competing in the decathlon that it could be a detriment to me. I spent too much time, my first two years training for decathlon, still trying to get numbers in the weight room, which was counterproductive because you had any mass you put on, you had to lift over the bar. You know? And so that had a huge influence on me and what some people call functional training. But if you go back to, to, to my generation and maybe the subsequent generation i'm 70 i'll be uh what am i gonna be 74 in uh in january um you know we grew up active i mean you know we we we, we had we didn't have because i went to parochial schools we didn't have daily pe but we had daily recess two recesses and we played and we played after school and we played you know we climbed and all of that and um and I think this is the thing that we have to re recognize with the young athletes today. Typically, a, a typical roadmap is, is the athlete will come into high school, their ninth grader, say it's a boy, wants to play football. The first thing they do is start to load them up, load up the spine, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, and they're secreting testosterone by the bucket and, uh, you know, they can overcome some of this. But what happens is you see those athletes really, really, kind of level off, like, where are you going to go? 
instead of my, my principle, body weight before external resistance. If you can't do a, you know, X number of pull-ups and push-ups and rope climb and step-ups and body weight squats, you have to earn the right to, 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 to lift heavy. And, 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 and there's, there's a very, like our, our swimmers, um, I mean, the other day it, doing dumbbell complexes, uh, boys, well, no, the girls too. She did, I think, like 7,000 pounds of total, total weight, you know, lifting what, anywhere from 20 to 35 pound dumbbells, you know, and, and, and that. You say, geez, that's a lot of weight. Yeah, it is. But they're never, put it, they're never loading their spine. You know, the, my, my rule of thumb is never sacrifice range of motion for resistance. So if the weight's too heavy, you go down. And I, I think what happens is all of us, females and males, you know, we're, we're pretty indestructible. We think we are when we're in our teenage years. And even into your early 20s, if you're a college athlete or a professional athlete, or you, or you want to, you know, you want to be a good, good weekend athlete. And so you, 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 people keep loading in searching of these numbers instead of my question is, what, what is the strength is, are you developing strength you can use, you know, and, and you pay the piper, you pay the piper starting in your thirties and then your forties and fifties. Fortunately, um, I mean, I did a lot of stupid heavy lifting, um, and I paid for it, but not with, you know, not with surgery, just, and I don't know if the arthritis just has to do with in the neck, that's from football. Uh, you know, but so I tell, I, I just, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm with you on this. I'm very cognizant of this. And you look at a lot of these uh, professional athletes, you know, professional football players, especially th these guys are, they're cripples by the time they're 28. And yes, the game is tough, but they're adding, see, one of my axioms is I want to, I want to use what I, what uh, building a complete athlete, and I want to, I don't want to replicate stress of the game. I want to prepare you for the stress of the game and practice. And that, and you say, well, that's double talk. No, 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 no. If you're going to, the only way you're going to get better as a football, basketball, tennis player, or whatever, is to, is to be more proficient, you know, in, in that. But if I add, come over here and you're with me in the weight room or you're out on the field and we're doing speed development work or something like that, and I'm trying to replicate what you're doing, I'm just adding stress to stress instead of preparing you for the stress of your activity. And I think that's a, that's a big thing that we've been able to do now. And, and again, I, this is uh, at the risk of sounding shameless self-promotion. Um, we don't have shoulder problems with our swimmers. We don't work on the shoulder. We work on the connection of the shoulder to the hip. You know? And we didn't have shoulder problems with the White Sox. I was director of conditioning there for nine years. Uh, you know, and people, uh, I mean, people just didn't understand it, but the shoulder is a link in the kinetic chain, right? And you always work the whole kinetic chain. It starts at the foot, the joints in the foot, and it goes up and, you know, and that. So it's, um, the body's complex, the con but the concepts are simple. <laughs> yes. Of, and there's, and, there's, and, uh, out of all the movements that we're able to achieve as a human form, it really just boils down to just a few basic movements 
And then we combine those movements together to get almost an infinite range of things we can do. But really, like you say, you know, even though it's complex, it boils down to such simplicity, including like progression that you were kind of mentioning in terms of you, you don't want to load the body until it can learn to move. You don't want to sacrifice range of motion for resistance. And how I look at that spectrum of progression is, get, do they need assistance with the movement? Can I take that assistance away and have them be proficient with it, with their own body? And then once they achieve that, can I create some external resistance outside of that in some form or other, whether it's changing their position or adding load in the form of bands or, or dumbbells or kettlebells or whatever. And I think that for the most part, a lot of uh, a lot of people that are say in the industry or young trainers and coaches, we, we jump across the first two and we just jump right into external resistance. Kind of what you were saying. Yeah. There's the other, the other, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the other thing you were talking about is like when we were growing up, we had recess or we had PE or whatever the case, we got outside and played. I remember my, my dad got tired of hearing the storm, the, the, the screen door slam back and forth every time I go in and out of the house. He's like, one, one or the other, either stay in or get out. And I stayed out and I played all day. And that was functional fitness at its finest. A lot of alliteration there. But, but really what it was is that you and I came into the gym at a higher level of structural integrity than the young athletes today that you're developing right now. And, and I'd like to kind of just briefly talk about that. Like the, the programs that we're designing today have to have some consideration for the fact that each passing year with technology, the kids and the athletes that are coming in and that are, that are progressing onto professional or college level are structurally less stable the moment they see you. How do you, you you recognize that? We're asking them to, uh, to write the great American novel and, and they can't, and, and, and they barely know how to write a sentence, you know, in terms of physical literacy. Can yes. you, can you bend, extend, reach, pull, step, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. And um, everybody now has rediscovered physical literacy and they're making it so mechanistic that these kids, the kids, the athletes look like robots. And, and what you have to do, is you have to set up situations where they explore movement and solve movement problems. And then you, 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 you give them increasingly more difficult movement problems to solve. And sometimes that, and it's, it's easy to chase uh, external load and to slow things down. But yet everybody will say, we're talking about athletes here, speed wins. So why, do the, why is the first thing that we do is slow you down? I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, like, like, and, 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 and we teach kids how to run like, um, I want you to run like a deer, not like a damn robot, you know, so we teach drills and go watch little kids play. You know, I was walking back, I went to Golden, walk around Golden Gates Park and his mother lifted this little, probably he was about two and a half up onto this wall and he's walking along and, and this kid had the biggest smile on his face. The mom never said, be careful or anything like that. She just kind of held his hand. And I'm thinking, this is what, again, this is, I'm always looking at it with jaded eyes of a coach or something like that, you know, but yeah, let's let, let them understand the dimensions of their body and recognize that these movements are natural movements and let them explore the dimensions of these natural movements through play and then gradually formalize it 
and 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 my 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 mantra is body weight before external resistance. You know, like you asked, I, I've I've seen this with with pretty high level professional uh, football players. Ask them to crawl. You know, just do a bear crawl. Get down and give me a bear crawl, which is basic fundamental training for a quarterback, a pitcher, a tennis player, a swimmer. I'm telling you guys, there was smoke coming out of their ears. They were trying to, you know, they're, they're just so programmed into, into following, a, 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 you know, you have to do step one and step two and step three, rather than let them, you know, explore dimensions of movement. I said that a couple of times. You know, is, so. is that what you mean sense. by movement problems? Because you, you mentioned movement problems and it just struck a chord. I'm like, wow, that's a great term. So well, you... Like, what's, yeah. is that an example of it, or do you have others that you could throw out? Well, here's, here's a great example, okay? Well, the, the, the myth that's still out there. Don't let your knee go past your toe when you squat. <laughs> well, let's go watch television today and, and watch an outdoor show. Don't watch a sport movement. Watch Your knee's going to go past your toe. The key is your knee has to go past your toe with a degree of control, okay? So how do you, what, what do you do? Do you teach the knee to go past the toe? You don't talk about it. So it's simple. Okay, if, if, if you and I were facing each other, all I would do is I'd say, um, uh, I want you to put your hands on your hips, stand with weight on both feet. You're gonna, you're gonna step with your right foot and you have to touch my hand wherever I put it. That's a movement problem. So I'll okay. put it right in front of you, six inches in front, touch it, step back. Good, perfect. Okay, and then I'll move it. 45 degrees to the right, maybe 18 inches. So now you have to step across the midline. Then I'll move it out to the left. You have to open. And then I'll move it to the side so it's lateral. And then I'll keep moving it further and further and further and further out until you reach the point of, in quote, no return, right? Where you don't have the eccentric strength to be able to return. Fine, you just solved the movement problem. We found out what kind of, what length of lunge you can do. Never said anything about what you can't do. I'm interested in finding the dimensions of what you can do. You know, same thing with squatting. People say, oh, you know, like, like we have a, uh, everybody I work with now, and, and, and uh, it'll be on our next gain masterclass as our, uh, as our intro thing. It's just a squat series. It's uh, seven different squatting movements. And uh, it's funny, you say squats for swimmers. These kids can't squat. And every time they go into the wall, it's a, it's a full squat and push off and, you know, shapes. We call it shapes, okay? Yeah. So um, we don't care if the knee, the knee has to go past the toe in a full squat, okay? But people say, well, you got to do wall squats. These kids have sore knees. No, I'll just, I'll just modify the squat. We have one boy that's grown three inches. Came to me the other day, my knees are really sore. Fine, we're going to do ski squats. You're going to do frontal plane lunges. You're, uh, you're going to do um, uh, side lunges, and you're going to do lateral step-ups. And I, and I, and I after each set, I'd, oh, my knees feel fine. Good. So you, I said, you're going to do that. You might do that the next four months. No problem. Anytime we do legs, you know, and that. So, again, it's just the 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 the, the, the um, Lynn Davies, who was a 1964 Olympic champion in the long jump, uh, the world record then was around 27 feet, two inches or something. And he said, you know, it's always stuck with me. I heard this in an interview. He said, you know, the, the world record would be a lot, um, uh, a lot farther if we had to jump over a 28 foot ditch. 
And I, uh, I thought, now, with what I know now, as he was talking about it as a movement problem, you know, I mean, you would do, and you watch a kid jump, try to jump over a water puddle. You know, we teach all these things about set up the jump and all of that. They just do it naturally because they don't want to get their feet wet, you know. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that um, I think we've, we've gotten, um, maybe we've outsmarted ourselves to, to a certain degree. You know, the body, if we know the body, you know, and you have your methodology and you know the body, we know the dimensions at which, through which the body can move, recognize that there are uh, extreme survival situations where people have been in those situations and the body can go sort of beyond which uh, are, you know, limits, but there are no limits. And... Uh, uh, and then, and then think about logical progressions, you know, easy to hard. We have multiple planes. We have multiple joints. It's just so much more fun. I call it fundamental with, you know, F-U-N, the fun part of fundamental capitalized. The athletes buy input because it feels better to them. And, and, uh, and those of you like the beach ball, two beach ball players, volleyball players I work with one, one was in the Big Ten and one was in the SEC. And they were both subjected to heavy lifting programs. And these women, I knew one, Megan, I've gotten really close to, and, and her husband and a little daughter and that. And Megan, she was a teammate of my daughter's in, in youth soccer before she grew. Six foot three with a 30-inch inseam. So just put, think about putting weight on her spine, you know? And she said the whole, whole time in college, I was just, my, my back was always sore. My knees were always sore. And, and uh, uh, you know, six months of doing what we're talking about. And, and she, she goes, this is really, this, I, don't, I'm not, I don't feel all these aches and pains that I used to feel. And her jump improved, her movement improved. She leaned up, you know, all the things that you want to do in a program, you know. So it's, um, it's, it's a challenge. I don't want to say it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science in the sense, because if I can figure it out, Sure as hell ain't rocket science, but no, it's it's more like a murder mystery. That's how I look yeah, at it. Yeah. It's like there's clues, and we just gotta look at the clues and what are they telling you? And can you solve this? Like the movement problem. I, I love that thought, that concept of can can we create a solution? Can they create better yet? Can they create yeah. a negotiation or a strategy in which their body is gonna solve this this element? I like the idea of strategy because that the strategy can be a progression and the progression isn't, isn't the same for everybody, is it? I mean, some, no. you can start and 10, 10 step progression and you can start at five and I have to start at two, but at, we're going to end up at the same place, you know? And, uh, but I, I also, I also think that what we need to do a better job. Yes, we, we need to do a better job of uh, presenting movement problems that, that have logical solutions, key point. And we need to um, we need to ask better questions. That's I'd say if you were to say to me, Vern, what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last ten years of your career? Is I get better if I ask better questions. You know, better questions of you, the athlete. Better questions of your professional colleague. You know, uh, you know, and that's that's you know, it's it's Sherlock and it's Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes in a sense. You know, it it you really know, is. But the obvious yeah. is right, but we don't look for the obvious. We look for the exotic, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we often, we, we consider it interviewing the body.
like we can interview the athlete and, and I'm not talking mentally, but I'm talking actually the physical frame. Although there are times where we get into the, the mental aspect of it, but when putting programs together for, for our clients, for our athletes, we're actually using every single movement as a way of asking the body, what, what do you like to do? Where do you prefer to go? Where don't you want to go? Where are those dark zones that there is something about it that you don't want to go there? And can we bring you safely there and back again? So that now you have a new experience and you have new movements at your disposal that make you much more proficient, efficient, and all around uh, better at moving through three-dimensional space. So I love that concept you bring up. And, and it's definitely, well, and, and, it's not lost on me. Past, yeah, take it past athlete. It's, it's been interesting walking around this area. <laughs> Look, I'm, I said I'll be seven. I keep, I keep thinking, I, I don't. I don't know, 74 is just a funny number. I have trouble saying it. Uh, but, you know, I'm seeing, it, we're definitely, it's an aging population. This is an aging population. I see a lot of older people walking around and that kind of stuff, you know, and it's hilly. I mean, this is, this is my calves are telling me this, Toto, this ain't Florida. You know, this is not Sarasota, <laughs> Florida, where it's flat. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I, I just go, what we've done is we, we, uh, and, you know, and I know you work at a gym and you have your own facility and that, but we've created this idea that you can't get better at moving unless you have a gym yeah. and machines and, and, and these kinds of things, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, it's look at your environment and, and say, what do you have to do to be able to be a better mover in your environment, you know, um, there's a, is there a step that you, you know, you have to step down because we know falls with elderly people are, you know, that's a big thing. Well, then you better do some step downs, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty logical. So start with a two inch step down and build up to a six inch step down, you know, and that's the movement problem. And then I, you've got to do it when somebody distracts you. So your head's looking over your left shoulder and you're stepping down with your right leg. You know, I mean, those, those are simple things. You look at the mechanism of ACL injuries in a basketball player running down a court. And, and so they're running, the ball's on, the basket's to their left. Their left foot hits, they look over, yeah, they look over their left shoulder, their knee goes into Valgus, they catch the ball and, and they tear their ACL. Well, how many yes. times did you did you start that out with lunges? And then how many times did you do bounces, bounds where you turned to one direction and caught the bat, caught a med ball? Yeah. You and know, how you're many doing times, a to the well, and how many times did the coach say, don't let your knee go over your toes or don't let your knee go valgus. I mean, oh, that we hear oh, all the time. Oh I mean, if you don't let it go in there, how does it know what to do when you need it to go in there? Exactly. And so you I do think that's why we're seeing a lot of ACL issues. Oh, there's no question. That and, and, and over-engineered shoes. Um, yes. You know, where, where, you know, you mentioned it before we went on. Pronation is natural. Okay, that's force reduction. It starts at the foot. So if you mess up the timing of force reduction, somewhere up the, up the chain, you're going to pay for it. You might have solved it at the foot, but, but the body, again, the body's smart and it's going to say, you know, you really pissed me off and I'm going to show you that I could, that I'm the king here, you know, so I'm going to tear your ACL or I'm going to tear your hip labrum or, you know, something like that, you know, so look, I don't have all the answers, 
and, and I, I, I'm learning all the time. I've got an incredible network of people that I can interact with through game network. And then subsequently, aside from that, and it's, uh, and we don't, nobody's put up on a pedestal as an expert, you know, so we're all challenging each other to be better and say, okay, now, like somebody sent me this particular exercise the other day, and I always say it's more than the exercise. And, and he, I wrote back and he said, I knew what you were going to say. And I said, well, okay, what's the context? What's, what part of the training year are you in? What's the objective of the exercise? It's a cool exercise, really a cool exercise. I love it, but it's an exercise, right? And so this is, I call it the YouTube phenomenon. Just put mm. in any, uh, put in lunges on YouTube and you're going to see the, you know, people doing uh, lunges with a kettlebell in their, you know, grip, you know, in their mouth and, you know, and, and somebody, uh, somebody, you know, juggling burning swords or, but okay. Why would you juggle burning swords? Well, I live in Sarasota, Florida, where it used to be headquarters of the Ringling Barn and Butter and Circus. So, Maybe that's what you do. I don't know. So I'm, I'm not, I don't work with that population. But no, good point. Yeah, exercise is a tool. And depending upon what tool you need for the time, you're going to pull that out of your toolbox. But if I need a wrench, I'm not going to grab an awl or a screwdriver. I'm going to grab what I need. So exercises are just that. Now you bring up a couple of good things. Uh, and for the, the aspiring trainers, the coaches, therapists that are out there, you have mentioned your age a couple times now, but you've also mentioned the fact that you have mentors. And, and that is something that is really important to get across, is that no matter how long you've been in the industry, me 30 years, you 52, we both have mentors. And, and probably more than one for that matter. And then, uh, so let's, let's just, if you don't mind, what's the importance of a mentor for you? And have you always had mentors? Yes, right, literally right from the get-go. Uh, and I reckon, well, first it was my, you know, my high school basketball coach who, when I graduated, uh, you know, asked me to come back during the summer and help with the summer league teams when I was playing football in college. And, and uh, his lessons were stuck with me. Um, yeah, always had mentors. Uh, some of them are, some of them don't, you know, are, uh, some of them I'm real close to in terms of, you know, personal friendship relationships. And some of them are, uh, you know, that they're, I've read every book that they've done. I've been to presentations, things like that, but I would still count them as, as mentors. And it's, it's really important. And uh, that you, you and, and it's not, um, again, none of them have ever tried to say they knew everything, you know, today, uh, in today's world, uh, people want uh, somebody the other day, uh, you know, I, I saw a thing, honest to God, uh, it, they had 32 letters after their name in terms of certifications. And that's not literally, I counted them because I couldn't believe that, the, the, you know, it, it ran down into the next line. And, and to me, that's not, that's not mentoring, you know. Find somebody that you can communicate with, that you can trust. It could actually be a peer. I mean, some of my some of my best mentors have been people, you know, that we've grown together. I have a good friend, John Geraldi in Santa Barbara, that I got him started in coaching in 1975. We talk twice a week, not always about coaching now, but but yeah, once once a week 
you know, well, I'll toss out John. What do you think about this? You know, I'm trying this and, and he, because we know we've known each other, you know, so it's, it's not just that it's also a sounding board, you know, and, and, and things like that. So I think that's really, really important if you can and find people that are real and genuine and not trying to take your money, you know, and things like that. People are surprised. I mean, you call my number at home and I asked, somebody said, well, can I talk to Vern Gambetta? And I said, well, you're speaking to him. And, and they go, well, we thought, no, I, I mean, I'm just another guy. You know, I'm very fortunate to have been some places. And, you know, and we had a great half an hour conversation. And I probably learned more than he learned from me just by asking him some of the things that he was looking at. Like, why, why you know, where did you learn this? Where, where did you come up with this idea? I'm not sure I agree with that. It's probably not really correct. You need to you need to think about that, you know, and, 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 and I'm a big reader. Uh, I haven't calculated. I, last year I read 151 books and I'm reading studies and, and all the time. I'm not saying that to brag. I don't even know what it's going to be this year because, because I haven't traveled and I'm, I'm reading like three books a week or four or so. Uh, but read, 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 read as much as you can. Get outside your field, you know. Um, um, don't just read uh, training stuff. Get off some of these um, uh, 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 closed-minded forums where it's, it's intellectual incest, where people are, are just passing around the, the same ideas. You know, challenge yourself um, to, uh, to get out there. But we don't have to turn this into the Oprah Book Club, but I'm, I'm curious, what, what book's standing out uh, this year that you just really enjoyed within or outside the industry? It was written by a professor at UCSB, and I picked it up when I was in the bookstore in Santa Barbara on my way back from Australia. I was there visiting our family. I want to say it's physical competence or physical, and it is a brilliant book. It is a brilliant book. He's a um, um, neurophysiologist and a neurosurgeon, a professor at UCSB, and it's, it's gotten a, uh, and uh, basically he talks about uh, how the body learns and that, but it's, 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 it's all through, he takes backpacking trips up in the Sierras and he talks about these kinds of things. Hands down, everybody should read it. It's terrible. I can't remember the, uh, I'm, I'm terrible with titles, you know, um, and, uh, but um, yeah, and, and it's funny, you're going to find things, ideas about um, how to communicate and that from things that are fairly far afield. I, I try to find, I'm really into reading uh, things about people that are really good at what they do, whether it's in the arts, um, you know, and that. I think we could learn a lot in our field by looking at, you know, looking at dance, all the various disciplines of dance. That's one of the things that somehow when this gets sorted out that I, I really keep saying I, I want to do. I want to, I want to explore, uh, you know, dance and that. So I'll send you the, the name of that book. I, it's, it's embarrassing not to, uh, not to know the title, but I really highly recommend it. Not a problem. But the, and, and on the same note with mentoring and learning information from others, you have established the GAIN Network or GAIN program, which stands for Gambetta Athlete Improvement Network. And Athletic. Network. Athletic okay. Gain, Gambetta Athletic Improvement Network. And 
I'd love to kind of just talk a little bit about that. You've got, for those that are enjoying podcasts and listening to them, you also have the Gain Cast, which is uh, yourself and, and others talking on a podcast about athletic improvement. So uh, what, what got you started with that and where is it now? Well, yeah, it's, it's a logical outgrowth of the seminar that I did for many years called Building and Rebuilding the Complete Athlete. And we always, it was a two-day seminar, that we'd always used to say, geez, Jeff, what would happen if we could, we just scratched the surface. It was a survey course, you know, and it, and it was um, athletic trainers, uh, physios, physical therapists, coaches, doctors, chiropractors, um, you know, and some athletes. And we taught it regularly up until uh, 2004, around the country, around the world. And I'd always say, jeepers, what happened if we could have, do this for a week? and do uh, a coaching course like I had seen in various countries that I'd been able to take part in. So we started this um, 13 years ago. Um, we did it in person. It's five days, total immersion. And yeah, it's Gambetta Athletic Improvement Network. But we're, look, I'm not going to, the G is, uh, the, the G is hopefully um, uh, not always going to be, it's not about me. And we've been able to bring faculty in that are world-renowned in all the various areas, sport in, whether it's sports science or coaching and that. And we get people from all over the world. Now, obviously, uh, the last eight years, we've had it at Rice University in Houston, Texas, and we do it in June, but we couldn't do it anymore. So, and we don't, we're not even sure about 2021. So what we started, and you can maybe give the, I appreciate this and people, if you're interested, uh, we, we've started a gain masterclass, which is once a month. Um, and uh, so we bring the experts in and uh, we'd start each morning out in Houston with what we call movement madness. It's really cool. It's three stations, 20 minutes at a station where it's, it's active learning and you're coached in, in various movements. So the game masterclass, instead of being able to do it, we have video and I'm going to go through this next month. It's going to be that squat series and show why we do it. And then this next month, it's Martin Bingeser, my colleague and I are going to go into all aspects of periodization. And we have a panel and then we have breakout rooms. So it's about an hour and 20 minutes, a master class. And we'll do 12 of those. Next month, we'll have Keith Barr from UC Davis, Dr. Keith Barr, who's doing some of the most cutting edge research and work on strengthening ligaments and tendons. Fascinating stuff. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it's really, really cool. So, uh, um, yeah, and, and hopefully we'll be able to go back and have it in person uh, if we can't. Like I said, I, I'm cautiously, I'm, I guess I'm more realistic. I, 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 I'm afraid that 2021, we're not out of the woods yet, you know, by June. You know, I, I, wish, I wish I could say that unequivocally, but we're almost in November now. So, so anyway, that's, that's what it's about. And the whole key to it, um, uh, Rocky, is that it's about, uh, it's about network, networking. So we have people from all over the world. And now we're going to have a gain offshoots, deep dive. We're going to have gain PE. We had a deep dive in Europe before the coronavirus thing on foundational strength, you know, where, which is like a day and a half workshop type of thing, you know, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really tapping into the resources that I've been able to develop over the last 52 years. And people just, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a living network, you know, and that's, that's the best way I could express it. And it's so cool, 
you know, to watch the network work and grow and that, you know, to, to see the, the guy that was sitting in the back row at game standing on the sideline at the Super Bowl to see another guy in the, you know, in the, in, um, running out on the field and working on a player in Rugby World Cup, but also, you know, the local high school uh, coach or trainer or something like that. And they all interact. And it's, I mean, we have, think about this. So you've got acknowledged probably as one of the top, maybe we'll say 10 coaches in the world, Eddie Jones, who's the coach of English rugby. The Americans probably don't know him, but the rest of the world do. Eddie comes to gain last year and is sitting in the audience. <laughs> think about it. That's He's impressive. He's sitting in the audience, you know, and, and taking notes. And then he goes out and talks to people and said, you got to go to gain. I learned more in those five days than I had in the last five years. I mean, like, whoa, Eddie, you know, and I mean, that's pretty cool, you know, and, and so I, if you can't tell by the tone of my voice, it's, it's, it's exciting to me because I love learning and it's opportunities uh, to mentor people, to meet people from, you know, all over, all different uh, parts of the country, parts of the world in different, um, uh, dis different disciplines. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Yes. When, when things open up, I, I would love to, to be in the audience right beside him. That would be fantastic. Well, I, I have just, I have thoroughly enjoyed this hour with you and I, I can't thank you enough for just welcoming me into your, into your world right now, especially with the grandbaby, just, just a few days away of you getting to see her. And, and, uh, and I really hope that that goal comes true of you just watching her graduate and all that. And I, I can't imagine uh, I'm, that not happening. That's just been well, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to get fitter than I've ever been. I, I got to see her again last night from afar you know, and, and I go, and I saw her three days ago, and I'm going, my God, you know, you forget how much changes in, in, in three days, and I'm going, you know, you got to, you got to stay really fit so that you can watch this kid grow, you know, and, and that, so, no, it's, it's exciting, this whole, this whole thing, this whole, look, we have, we have big challenges ahead, but um, I think, I think we're making, I think we're making some really good headway in terms of, uh, you know, learning better what we can do to get people better, you know, in all veins. So I appreciate the opportunity to be on. It's very good. Oh, it is, it is my pleasure, sincerely. And that's going to be a wrap for this episode of Zelos. Now, if you missed last week, we had Bill Parisi from Parisi Speed School on. So be sure to go and check that episode out. And next week... I invite Mike Potenza on, who is the strength conditioning coach for the San Jose Sharks, the NHL team. So be sure to tune in next week for Zelos. Until then, thanks for listening.